Chazal teach us, Rabbi Yisai, a Gemara Megillah. Ha'aymer davar b'shem aymeray mevi gula la'aylam. If somebody quotes, Aymer davar b'shem aymeray. If you quote your sources, where you heard a statement, you bring the gula, you bring Mashiach. You cause the gula, you cause the redemption by being Aymer davar b'shem aymeray. By quoting sources to matters, you bring the gula. In some ways, we're all a little bit hardened. We hear so many things to bring Mashiach. Do this, do that. We, the latest, like fad. If you say this capital 14.3 times and wear a certain color here, you'll bring Mashiach. So we're hardened. When Chazal says something brings Mashiach, Shalom, it's the truth. Chazal only speak the truth. And they're saying something sophisticated that brings the ge'ula, that causes redemption. People get redeemed. You cause redemption to Klal Yisrael, to the world, by quoting your sources. All of us know plagiarism is when people copy something that's not theirs. And they take credit for a speech that's not yours, for a article or essay that's plagiarism you copy. Oimer Dover Bishem Oimrei is if you heard something, say where you heard it. I don't know about you, I find myself, even if I'm quoting something, I like saying it first, at least for a few minutes, you think I'm smart, then I say, okay, I admit where I saw it. This word, I got to say that I heard from my tata, the word I'm about to say. You don't want to say a word on Aymer Dover B'Shem Aymer, not quote who you heard it from, that's for sure. So I'm about to say I heard from my tata. And the question begs, is why is that so important to quote your sources and that it brings the Geula? What is this? You bring Mashiach. Brings the Geula Shalom. It's for sure a good thing. Why does it have that importance? Better, equally important question is we learn it from the Megillah. And in the Megillah, Esther Amalka has been told by Mordechai that Big Son Viserish are plotting to kill the king. And Mordechai, who understood, they were speaking a language very few understood. And Mordechai understood they were saying this plot to kill the king. It's one of the wildest parts of the Megillah, Rabbi say. One of the wildest parts of the story of the Megillah is the fact, is the fact that they actually, that Mordechai and Esther save Achashverosh's life. It's a wild fact. Because Achashverosh, all of us know, is a terrible villain. He kidnapped Esther, and he's causing, and he was in cahoots with Haman to kill the Jewish people, let him die. It's one of the most bizarre things of the Megillah that they save Achashverosh's life. I went to a shir, I told you this, the guys this story years ago. Listen to a Shiloh Tzvi, somebody asked. You ready for a wild Shiloh? If somebody's ma'anes a lady, if a lady is forced to have relations against her will, is she permitted to go back to her husband? Yes. Yeah. yes. If her husband's not a kayan, yes. Listen to this story. 
A man is chasing a lady to do an Isser with her. She's an Asia says she's a married lady, and somebody's threatening her to do an immoral act. Another man takes out a gun. Is he allowed to kill the immoral man? Yes. Yes. So a man pulls out a gun to kill the immoral man. She, 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 the lady, picture the scene, an evil man about to do an affair with the lady. Another man pulls out a gun to kill, another man to pull, to kill the immoral man. The lady pulls out a gun and shoots the man who's about to shoot her attacker. You know what happens? As you're with me? The man then doesn't aver with her. Is she for, permitted to her husband? You hear this scenario? Complicated movie going on here. A man is about to do an aver with a lady. Against her will. She's a married lady. She's going to be permitted to her husband. Another hero sees what's going on and pulls out his gun to shoot the man as he's a ladu. She, it's called a raidif. If somebody's chasing him to Asia, she has the Allah of a raidif. You're allowed to kill a raidif. She then kills her protector. She killed her protector. The Allah is if somebody, the Allah you're allowed to. Because that guy, that's the Allah. It says by Pinchas. Pinchas killed two people doing Aisha Sish, but Pinchas was allowed to be killed. She inexplicably, you hear this nutty lady? Inexplicably, she takes out her gun with one bullet, and instead of killing her attacker, she kills the man who's trying to kill her attacker. And then her attacker is Ma'anesar. Is she Mutter or Asr to her husband? It's the story of the Megillah, guys. This is in the Megillah. If you think there's a crazy story, well then welcome to Megillah's Esther. Esther is being is an Aines from Achashverish. Achashverish is being Ma'anis Esther. Big son Beserish. Two fellas are going to kill Achashverish. Achashverish was Ma'anis Esther. Big son Beserish are going to kill Achashverish. And Eureka, Esther kills big son Beserish. <laughs> Fascinating part of the story. Now, <laughs> that's exactly the story. Just, just Megillah Esther, my friends. <laughs> what? Yeah, she be, she stayed. What do you see? She's you see. It's still called an Inus. That's what you see. Yeah. Reb Nissen Kaplan. I'm going to tee for a little bit and show off. Reb Nissen Kaplan asked this Shaila, and he said anybody who could prove it. The answer, the Shailu wins all his svarim. He wrote many svarim. And he said, anybody, I have all his svarim in my house. You can look at my bookshelf because I brought this right. I won his svarim. Okay. Yeah. So I only said that. <laughs> Okay, a little showing off. <laughs> a little showing off. He's written many svarim since. I always wonder if I have a right to tell him. But he only said my svarim till then. So I do have all his svarim in my study, Chazdei Hashem. He wrote some very beautiful svarim. I'm a sechtas brachas, other svarim. The kids' advarim is, is that was his shayla. 
But the reality is we can handle and analyze Malachic perspective. The reality is, is that Esther Amalka is told by Mordechai that they're plotting against the king. And she could have taken credit, but she gives credit to Mordechai. She tells the king, Mordechai told me, and if you follow the Purim story, Ahasuerus rewards Mordechai and favors Mordechai for saving his life. So this is the source that quote your sources. This is the source to quote your sources. We learn it from Esther quoting Mordechai. Shalom Esther could have taken credit for saving Ahasuerus' life. She gave credit to Mordechai. And we learn the lesson that if you give credit, you cause salvation. As Mordechai got tremendous salvation, the Jewish people, because Esther quoted Mordechai. And she didn't take the credit herself. And we learn a lesson that all of us should keep our whole life. Quote your sources, Rabbi Say. If you say something, don't pretend you're smart. Even though you might be smart, you are smart. Quote your sources. You heard something, give credit. The Rashba says, the Pnei Yeshua says, quote your sources. This is totally as an aside. You know what I'm always fascinated? I'm curious what you guys think. It's such an honor. Everybody, is there a more liked guy in yeshiva? Everybody loves Levi. You like, he brightens our day when he's here. And I thank his parents for sending Levi to the yeshiva. Thank you. Thank you. Guys have talents and milus. That he's the biggest businessman around this side of the world. That's cute. But that he's so lovable and delicious, that's valuable. That's like, that's worth more than all that. I'm curious, Hevra, just we're going to study today quoting your sources and learning this sogyu. That Oimer Dover B'Shem Oimer, to quote your sources, so we're going to talk about it. We want to know why does it bring the Gula, and why does the Purim story teach me this? Everything's very exact, Shalom. Why does Hashem teach me this in the Purim story? So I want to talk about it in a few moments. I want to point out something that I'm curious about. Did you guys ever notice, you're reading a Pnei Yeshua, I quote the Pnei Yeshua, another Tifur, because my family comes from him. So the Pnei Yeshua was just Tifur and all over the place today. And so the Pnei Yeshua, that great Achrain, the Pnei Yeshua, the Pnei Yeshua's house collapsed on him. He was under the rubble and dying. And he said to Hashem that if you save my life, I will put out a safer defending on all of Shas, Rashi, against Taisvis. Taisvis, Rashi's grandchildren, rip Rashi all over the yard, and Rashi wasn't alive. He couldn't defend himself. Says the Pnei Shua, I will stand up for Rashi all over Shas if you let me. That's what he said from under the rubble of his house. And clearly Hashem answered him yes, and magically, nace, a path opened up, he walked out, and he proceeded to write the Sefer, the Pnei Yeshua. How do I know maybe that story is made up? Because the Pnei Yeshua writes the story about himself. So he did not make it up. In his introduction to Pnei Yeshua, he writes the story, how he got out of a, of a rubble that had collapsed on his head. And many were killed in that collapse. He survived. He said, Tashem, let me out, and I'll write this Sefer. The Chida, 
who wrote a sefer called Shem HaGadolim, the Svardi Gadol Bechida, traveled around Europe and met many Gedolim. He met the Pnei Yeshua and he writes on him, and he doesn't write this on a different Gadol that I'm aware of, but he writes on the Pnei Yeshua that I saw him, and Panov Kipnei Malach Mamish, his face was that of an angel, literally. That's what he writes, having seen the Pnei Yeshua, that Panov, his face, Kipnei Malach Mamish, was literally the face of an angel. That's what the Chida writes when he saw the Pnei Yeshua. The Pnei Yeshua, my friends, will sometimes, and I've seen this in the Pnei Yeshua, it's not just an example, I've seen him do this. He'll say a word, and then he'll say, Achakach Matsasi B'Taisvis. Achakach Matsasi B'Rajba. And then I found my vert somewhere. So why doesn't he just quote the Rashba? He wasn't the T4 kind of guy. So he wants us to know that he thought of it. Why doesn't he just say, once he found that the Rashba's much earlier. So why doesn't he say, I saw the Rashba say. But he wants us to know, this is my vert. And then I achakach, I found in the Rashba. Once he saw the Rashba, why doesn't he just say, I found the Rashba that says. He wants us to know, like, guys, I thought of this word also. <laughs> like, what's he trying to do? Martha, you ever wonder that? Why doesn't he just quote the Rashba? This is not what I want to speak about, but on the topic of quoting your sources... Once he found a source that's before him, Binstein, so why doesn't he just quote the earlier source? Martre, what, what says you, Martre? You ever wondered this? Yosef, what says you, Yosef Einstein? You've noticed this, Yosef, that Achreinim do this? So why do he say it as his own? Just quote. I hear what you're saying. They even want you to know. <laughs> I don't know the answer. I'm not sure. I have no agenda. I don't know. I don't know. I want. There's something there that fascinates me. Kind of, huh? Isn't that interesting? Maybe. Maybe. Somehow in learning, you're not supposed to just give... If it's your words, it's your word. I said the word. I didn't see it from there. Somehow there's nothing... I don't know there's not anything wrong. It's your word then. I don't know. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to me that the Achreinim write... See, if you have a child, I want you to think of that. You can talk to your dad about it. It fascinates me. All the Achreinim do this. They'll say something. Achakach Matsasi. So why then just like, okay, eliminate. I saw it. They want you to know it's my vert. It's my vert because I said it. <laughs> I found it. Yeah, okay. See, he says it too. I said it. Afterwards, I it. They want you to know that I did have support to it. I found the rash. I'm just wondering once they found the rash, why don't they just quote the rash? Why are they even telling us that they said the vert? So Mart had a good point because they, they usually there's like saying it's in context of a vert. It's a good It's something I wanted to point out. I want to get back to our subject. The bottom line is, is there's a mitzvah to quote your sources. And we learn it from the Megillah, and it says it brings the goal, it brings redemption. I do want to say, are you mechuyiv to quote your sources? Let's say you have a chesh, but not to quote your sources. 
my father told me that it's mashman the Gemara, it's not a chiv. Because it says, the Oimer Dover B'Shem Oimer brings the Geula. My father quoted this from a Sefer to me. It's funny he quoted But my father taught me that it's not a chiv. If it was a chiv, you don't say it brings the Geula. Just say, Chayiv Adam Loimer Dover B'Shem Oimer. It's not a chiv. There were great people who didn't quote their sources. Reb Miller famously doesn't quote his sources. It's a big question why Reb Miller didn't quote his sources. I have my own theories on this matter. But it's a very fascinating thing. It's hard to say it's a chiyuv, it's an obligation to quote your sources, because it shouldn't say, if you quote your sources, you bring the redemption. It sounds like a madrega, a thing to do. People could have cheshbonis. Now, if your cheshbon is to, to plagiarize and sound brilliant, so you say the Pnei as vert. You say, I was thinking the other day, and it's not your word, so that's, you're not right to do it, but I can't say it's, it's usser. I could say you don't bring the gulu when you do that. So quote, say I saw in the Pnei Yeshua, I saw in the Gra. There could be a reason. You know when you don't quote sometimes, if you're publicly speaking, some crowds and sometimes, it gets tedious to people. If you're speaking a lecture and you start, well, I saw on this safer and this safer, people are like, can you just tell me, like, teach me? I'll ask you, what's that called in books when they have, like, in the back, like the footnotes, where they write all the sources? It gets tedious, some people. What? The index. Sometimes that's, you know, speakers are always quoting it, sometimes can ruin a speech. I saw this here, this, like, could you just tell me the thought? It's, so there could be reasons why not to quote. I can't say it's us, Sir Yosef. If it was forbidden, the Gemara wouldn't say, if you do it, you bring the redemption. It simply would say, us, Sir, not to quote. So I don't think it's an Isser, but it's a very big madrega to quote your sources. Why is this that it brings the Geula, the redemption? And why is it that it's learned specifically from the Purim story? Because Esther quotes Mordechai. Now, any of us learn the Purim story, what's striking, there are many things striking, but I think the main striking thing of the Purim story, the guys know that I had a dream to put out a movie I had a dream to put out a movie for many, many years. I was going to put out a movie. And I had it all worked out in my mind. I haven't yet asked Kosher Vids to do it. Because in a certain sense, I was beaten to it. Like, unfortunately, I was beaten to it by the Megillah Esther. So I sort of like, my movie hat was written already. So it's a little fresh. What was my movie? I want a movie where you have certain colors how life is happening, what we see, and then there's other colors and it looks different, you find out what's really happening. I'll give an example. In my movie, a family has an annoying guest. You have this person who's very, very bad odor, repungent odor, is a poor person who's very sad, and very, just smells, never talks, silent and sad, and just sits at the house, and all the kids can't stand when this guest comes. And they feel it ruins the suda. They're eating their steaks and all the delicious meal, 
And the poor guest who smells, who never talks, never contributes to the conversation, and just the frustrating guest, that's the scene. Now, the true scene will be that poor guest says, In benching, blesses the balabayas. And you're going to see that because of his blessing is the only reason they can afford stakes. There's a world of truth. There's Hashem. Who knows that they only have their money to support this honey. They only have their money to support this honey. The Lekach Toiv is a great safer on Chumash. And it's known that in Lekach Toiv, he researches his stories. There are a lot of places that say pretend stories. A lot of people make up stories. I'm a very big cynic when it comes to stories. Abach will tell me, an Israeli soldier went in a building and it fell on his head and then he saw Rachli Menu, a bunch of hogwash. If you don't tell me who said the story... You made it up. I don't like these stories. I don't appreciate it. My Rebbe is a brisker in this way. My Rebbe, every story he records exact from whom he heard it and exact details. There are too many made-up stories. The Lekach Toiv is known that his stories are very, very researched and very exact. The Sefer Lekach Toiv. In that Sefer, he brings a story with the names. I don't remember the names of a person who had a son-in-law. He writes the name. And the son-in-law was sitting and learning Torah. And the father-in-law was supporting his son-in-law. He lived in his house like days of old. They live right next to each other. And father-in-law is supporting son-in-law. And all the years, the son-in-law said, I want to get a job. I feel badly taking from you. And the father-in-law's line, he said, all his life, we don't know who's supporting who. We don't know who's supporting who. That was his line. Son says, I feel so bad. Thank you so much. You're taking care of me. I feel so bad. You're supporting. We're learning. Why are you working? And I, I should work. The father-in-law would respond, no problem. You don't know who's supporting whom. This went on for years and years and years. Comes a day where the, where the son-in-law just can't stand it that he's taking his father-in-law. And there were many times, thank you, I love you, Mama. There were many times where the father-in-law, many, many times where the son-in-law tried to get jobs, and the father-in-law nixed idea. He didn't let him get the job. And he always said, you don't know who supported him. Finally, the father-in-law was away on a business trip, and the son-in-law had it and took a job. He took a job somewhere. He took a job somewhere. At the day he moved out of his father-in-law's house, his father-in-law was Nifter. It's in Lekach Toiv, with the names of the people. And the father-in-law said, you don't know who's supporting him. You don't know that, that, that thing's going on. I'll tell you another story. I'm going to tell you a story with my father that's exactly accurate, exact. I grew up in a two-family house in Farakway, maybe, maybe the only kid in my class. Today there are apartments in five towns the time, Farakway in the Frum community. I don't know. I had 30 kids in my class. I don't know if another kid was living in an apartment. Could be I was the only one in my Darche class. I lived in an apartment. Two-family house. We lived upstairs. We rented from a couple. While we were living up there, they were, they were a couple with four children. Why were we living up there? The grandmother had passed away, had lived in that apartment. 
And she had left in her last sava, her last command to her kids, that I want you to rent my apartment to a Talmud Chacham. That was her sava, her last command on, plan, on this earth, that I demand you rent my apartment to a Talmud Chacham. They heard my father was moving from Lakewood. They felt he qualifies a Talmud Chacham, and they rented him an apartment. They didn't raise the rent. They were very, very, very good about it, and they rented my father the apartment in filling the tzavav, their mother, who said that her apartment should get rented to a Talmud Chacham. And we lived upstairs from his family. They were wonderful people. We were noisy kids. If we'd run around, she would take a broom and bang on the ceiling, and we knew, knock it off. At my bar mitzvah, my father presented her with a new, fresh broom. At my bar mitzvah, he called up Mrs. Grossman, a beautiful, wonderful people, and presented her with a new broom for all the times that I wore out the brooms banging. We were running around with geschmack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was I scared when I left the bath on and I forgot to check on it and it flooded and they came knocking on the door. They were an older couple, wonderful people. They came to say that it was raining downstairs. Oh, do I remember that day. But anyway, the Kitzrat Varim is, true story, but the Kitzrat Varim is, is that we lived upstairs, they lived downstairs. And, the re- and this is all because of a tzava. There's the, the son, their oldest son was a Lebedeke guy. Lebedeke, a teenager, he was more modern. Schmackster running around. When he was a Rosh Hashiv in Eretz Yisrael, I once came, he was a Ram in Eretz Yisrael. I came by, I came by a speech he was giving. He did not know I was in the crowd. He did not know I was, and he said to a group of people that I'm sitting here, I grew up, he said, I was modern. I was running around. I remember the loud music he used to play coming from downstairs. We did not have a broom to bang bang back, but I remember the loud music. And we were close. He was an older brother of sorts. We lived in the same house. Erev Pesach, I would clean his car. I'm still not sure. The rule is we can keep all the money we found under the seats. That was his rule. That was our payment. Now, I'm still convinced. I have to ask him once that he purposely put money and quarters and things. We used to find what felt like millions of dollars, like at least four or five dollars were around his, his car. That was the rule with this, with this guy. We'd clean his car for Pesach, his little kids, and we'd get to keep the money sprinkled around the car. That's a lot. You could buy a whole bunch of ciders with that money. It was an excellent deal as youngsters. The kids are at Varmiz. That he was speaking in Eretz Yisrael as a Rosh Hashiva, and he said, when did this happen to me? I grew up modern. He says, I was 17, 18, I was running around. I was zero interested in Torah and these things. He said, I heard him say this, there was a man lived upstairs, and I never saw a happier guy in my life, and I hated him for it. He said, I thought that happiness exists out there. You run there. That's where happiness. I saw a man upstairs who learns Torah like I breathe and he's happy. He said, it changed my life. He said, I asked myself questions. It changed my life. We speak about chenuch. Everybody here is going to have a home. There are kids. This is chenuch gone the most wrong possible. All of us have normal taiva. There's normal desire. One of the worst things in Chinuch, the success of your career in your home, you're all going to have beautiful families, Be'ezer Hashem. And success is as follows. If your kids grow up with the stupidity 
those guys, you see like kids in a modern school, those guys have fun, that's a failure of chenach. An absolute object failure. It's stupidity. That the sense, like, oh, we're all human. We have a moment. We have taiva. That's normal. The sense that happiness is out there, the overall. There are kids who grew up for whatever reason where Yiddishkeit's not happy and wholesome and positive with this silly sense like happiness is there. That's like childish and a good system of chenuch that's the truth, that happiness is right here. When a bacher comes to the yeshiva, I want him to learn that happiness, yismach leib mevakshe Hashem. Happiness is the service of Hashem. I want a guy to have good times, geshmak, the nonsense, like happy, people have childish, I laugh, we had a group of guys in the yeshiva who went to some camp, it was in Puerto Rico. <laughs> like the sense that you fool, don't, don't stay childish. Puerto Rico is Puerto Rico. When you go to Puerto Rico, it's still you. Wherever you go, there you are. You're in, you don't outrun yourselves. Now you're in Puerto Rico, and you're in Puerto Rico. You go to, people go to Pesach. I like Pesach programs. But I've noticed you'll be the same if the program was in Williamsburg or Mexico. Mexico. Say it like dramatic. It's still you. Happiness is where you go. You like the warmth. To say that it's true. Florida, I loved Florida because I got to hang with Svi Winter. That's why it was Gishmak. And it's true, he's in Florida. The sun's there in Svi Winter. It's true. But be, be, uh, be say a system of Chenuch is we have happiness. The bottom line is I heard him speaking. And the truth is he became a Ben Tyre, became a Talmud of my father. And he became a Ben Tyre. And then his sister became a tremendous, he had wonderful parents. But my father impacted all the kids. The oldest son, when you get the Bechar, the rest follow. All four kids became fiery B'nai Torah, like fire. All four. The day my father bought his first house, I was over 13, it was a little after my bar mitzvah. The day my father signed on his final house, the day, mamash, not, not a, the day my father signed on his house, the day, was the day the youngest girl became a Kala. On that day, my father Punk signed on his house, and their youngest daughter became a Kala, married to Ben Torah. It was such obvious, the Yad Hashem, the exactness, the exactness of Yad Hashem, seeing the hand of Hashem, that clearly a grandmother years before made a tzavah, have a Talmud upstairs. She was thinking about her descendants, Hashem, they were doing a chesed to my father. They did amazing, and they did a chesed. And this, what was going on, the strings Hashem was pulling, all the kids became B'nai Torah, serious B'nai Torah. The day my father signed on a house to buy his first house, their last daughter got engaged, job done. Hashem runs the world, Rabbi said. And we see Yad Hashem, all the time, we get to see Hashem's hands. So I wanted to write a movie with the story we see and the story really happening. What's going on? That honey that the whole family, oh, it's your bad smell, and you're only eating because of that honey. And that's the real story. The reason my movie's a little bit extra, it's a great, I'm telling you, you would have liked, it was very funny also. You would have liked my movie, Hevra. But I don't know today if I'm putting it out because the Megillah beat me by way too long. And Megillah's Esther is a series of events of what happened and then there's something deeper. 
Achashverosh and, and Haman conspired to, to kill us. What's happening is tragic, is so sad. And Chazal teach us, the Gemara tells us, that more than all 48 Nevi'im, a Gemara Megillah, more than all 48 Nevi'im got us to do tshuva, Hasaras HaTabas of Achashverosh moved the entire, changed our people, the positive. And Hashem running the world and orchestrating. Haman brings, builds a gallow and he, only to hang himself on that gallow. Man doing this and Hashem orchestrating and using. Achashverosh in a rage kills his wife. Nutty, bizarre events meet this race. And it's all Hashem manipulating and controlling through a madman. The most extreme madman, crazy events. He, he, he murdered his wife. It was this, this awkward, uncomfortable event. The king just killed his wife. But Hashem's setting up that Esther comes in, just Hashem running the world. And madmen behaving with terrible midas and crazy stuff going down through midas race. Lev milachem biyam luchu, the Pasuk says. The hearts of king rule through me, Hashem says. Kings have less bechira than anybody else, less choice. And I'm orchestrating their bad midas, just Hashem running and controlling the world. The, the Grah shares with us in Megillas Esther an, an incredible thing. At the beginning of Megillas Esther, at the beginning of Megillas Esther, the, it's the Psukim say as follows. It was the days of Achashverosh who ruled the world. In those days when the king was sitting on his throne that was in Shoshan. Very cumbersome Pasuk. The Pasuk says in the days of Achashverosh who ruled the world, the following happened. He made a party. There's a totally cumbersome extra pasuk that in the days that the king sat on his throne that was in Shushan. <laughs> what? He was the king. What's it saying there? The Grah tells us a story that you have to know about. The Grah says that the capital of Persia was not in Shushan. Shushan was not the capital. There was another capital of Persia. And what happened was... Achashverosh was trying to assert his malchus and he had a dream to have the throne of Shloim HaMelech. In the first base, Amigda, Shloim HaMelech had an elaborate throne that had many vices, many devices. It was a crazy, crazy billion-dollar throne. And people tried to sit. Paroi, there was a Paroi, a king of Egypt, who tried to sit on Shlomel's throne, he got injured, some malach chucked him, he got injured, he was called Parei Nechei, he was lame the rest of his life. That throne was like the dream of kings, of monarchs. And Achashverosh, who was mightily insecure, felt if he sits on Shlomo Melech's throne, keep in mind a lot of the story of Purim revolves and the very party, there was a sense the Yidden are going to go back to, it was predicted 70 years after the first base of Mishra, be the second base of Megdash. And Achashverosh is not going to rule over, he rules the world. And Yidna going free, and he's very worried what well, they're going to take away my rulership. And when he perceived that that's not going to happen, he was going to make a crazy party. To celebrate these events, he wanted to show that he sits on the most powerful throne in the world. Nobody could sit on Shleim Melech's throne. So what Achashverosh did, 
In the city of Shushan, there were a lot of skilled workers. And he had them build the throne that exactly replicated Shleim HaMelech's throne. They worked for years on it. And this was like his dream throne that he was going to have, that was going to solidify his malchus. It was a whole palace. It wasn't just the seat. There was a whole system. This throne was a complex throne and a whole system leading up to the throne and how it worked and a whole complicated system. And he had people in Shushan build it. Remarkably, after it was built, Achashverosh just fired up and remarkably, it was too heavy to transport to the capital. And Achashverosh in his gaiva, in his massive haughtiness, changes the capital because he wants that throne. He needs to sit on that throne, says the Gra. And he changes, like in the nuttiest move, in like the history of nutty moves by Achashverosh, he changes the entire capital to sit on that throne. This Balgaiva, this arrogant, haughty king, who's insecure like all Balgaiva are, so he's in, the very need for his throne is insecurity, and the very sense why he kills later Vashti is because of insecurity. And in showing, I'm a melech, and I'm worthy of Malchus, and this is the ultimate throne, he changes the capital of his country. And if you read the Pasuk, Achashverosh rules the world by Yamim Mahaim, but on those days, when the king sat on the throne that was in Shushan, the reason the capital was moved to Shushan was because the throne was built in Shushan. That's where the expert workers were and they couldn't transport it. So he moved the capital and he's now sitting on the throne in Shushan. That is what the Gra makes us aware in these Psukim. It's there, the Psukim then make a lot of sense. He's sitting on the throne that's in Shushan. Now all of us know the story and the very story is because it's in Shushan when Esther's taken, who lives in Shushan? Mordechai. And Hashem moves the whole country to be near the tzaddik. And the tzaddik's able to advise Esther and be there. The entire country moved. Hashem orchestrates the gaiva of Achashverosh. The story that we would see is an arrogant king. But in my movie, we would have different colors and you would see Hashem orchestrating. He could have made the tzaddik move, but no. The tzaddik stays put. Mordechai, you live. He, Hashem could have had the tzaddik make a decision to move. No, no, no. Hashem runs the world and kings and all different intrigue in the palace all have revolving around tzaddikim, revolving around Am Yisrael, revolving, all working for Hashem's plan. And an entire country, a country that ruled the world, changes the place of the rulership. The apparent reason is an arrogance for a good throne that he wants. The real reason is moving the entire story to Mordechai. Mordechai, you sit, I got it. And Hashem moves the entire story using the arrogance of the Melech. And the story of Megillah's Esther is the story of of us who, who try to learn the real story. We see events in the world and it's Hashem running events 
orchestrating and arranging, Siviyad Hashem in everything. Hashem is running. Hashem is doing. There is a plan. There is a purpose. It is all Hashem running things. There's a purpose and a plan. And that is the story of Megillah's Esther. That which is hidden, that which we don't see, Hashem is running. And, and all the stories of the Megillah are Hashem orchestrating and arranging and causing. That's the story of Megillah's Esther. Rabbi Say. Now we get back to Aymer Dover B'Shem Aymer. What do we learn from the Megillah? Quote your sources. Say where you got it from. Go back to the original source and you bring the Geula. The Geula comes from people who bring back to the original source, who don't get lost. You can take an event and say, I said, when somebody gave that to you, take it back to its original source. Take it back to its original source. That's Aymer Dover B'Shem Aymer. Give credit to the one who really originated and that brings the Geula, the redemption. What brings the redemption is Hashem hides. And Hashem arranges things. What brings the redemption, and a person is a nigal, when a person learns to see the Yad Hashem, trace it back to the original source. Give credit to the originator. Give credit to the creator. Give credit to the one who did it all and does it all. Give the credit back. I want to tell you something funny about this yeshiva chavr. And this is just the exact truth. This, these are scenes. We all have our Megillah Esther, my friends. I'll tell you a story. The yeshiva go back five plus years ago, now six, now close to six years ago. And the yeshiva is thrown out of Waterbury by the government. The government says the yeshiva is not zoned to be a dorm. You can't be in Waterbury. My wife and I spend the summer looking for a dorm, amongst other people, trying to find a place to house the Masifta of Waterbury. And it's three weeks to this man, and there is no Masifta. We were stonewalled. They weren't going to let... It was, there's no zoning. You can't find in Waterbury. You couldn't find one place in Waterbury that was zoned for a boarding school. It's a city, and the government, was, was in, for whatever reason, was insisting... I told my wife, what does Hashem want? My faith was shaken. My wife said faith in God. And I was, what's going on? I was very, very frustrated. I went to see Stanford, was moving out of a yeshiva in Stanford. I went to see, it was a broken down building that was barely usable. I had thought maybe we'll rent that. It would have been impossible. How would the Rebbeim get there? The Rebbeim traveling, it's about an hour and a half during the day to get from whatever to Stanford during the day. Distant-wise, if you go late at night, early in the morning, Rebbeim, there's this from Rebbeim weren't moving two weeks before this man. Our kids are in schools. I looked at it; it wasn't it wasn't that relevant. The building was also collapsing and falling down, which is why they moved from it to begin with. And it's three weeks to this man, and there's no Waterbury Yeshiva. Now there are guys here who can testify. For seven years, glorious years, we were in Waterbury. Somebody recently asked me, why is it called Waterbury? You're in Durham. And I just asked them, where is the mirror today? <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> and Satmer, by the way. But anyway, mind you. But the, we do have a base, Parsh on the base. Smash the Waterbury, the office, the Shashiva's in Waterbury. So, okay, it has other reasons also. Nonetheless, Chevra. Chevra. The bottom line is, the bottom line is, is that 
is that we, we, we were thrown out of Waterbury. Any, there are guys here who were in that yeshiva. For seven years, we had glorious years in Waterbury. We were in the yeshiva, the Beis Marish is in a beautiful neighborhood. One step over is a very difficult neighborhood. And the dorm was in a difficult neighborhood. Yitzi could testify. A lot of guys here could testify. There was a shooting in front of the yeshiva. There, were, there was a shooting right by the parking lot. There was a lot of action and complications. There were all different people. There was a lot of cra- muggings and attackings. And there were Bachram mugged. There were all different stories. It was not very easy. I was shot by a paintball. Not Yishmael. <laughs> I was talking, okay, I'll say the story. <laughs> I was talking to Menachem Wiener. The road is right here. This table's the road. And I'm on the sidewalk, Maitzay Shabbos, Saturday night about 12.30. Literally at 12.30. Menachem Wiener right here, Dan Kalish, and I'm talking to Menachem Wiener. I have the best peripheral vision I know of. Another T4, full of gaiva today. And I happen to see a lot of point guards. We could see, if you know right now, you think I'm looking at Maish, I'm looking at Maish Raber right now. I have very good peripheral vision. Point guards, if you're basketball and you're a point guard, you have to see the court. And you get used to looking. I'm looking at Eli Donowitz right now. You hit him with a pass. You get used to your peripheral vision's important. The bottom line is I'm talking to Menachem Wiener right here, the sidewalk, and a car slowly pulls up to us. Now, it's the inner city, you know, things happen, but a car tinted windows pulls up, and the window goes down. I'm talking to Menachem Wiener, and the window goes down. We're in the middle of a conversation, and then out of the window, a gun comes out of the window. It was about a foot from my shoulder, from here. A gun comes right out of the window, and I'm just like... And then a shot goes out, and I was hit on my arm. I don't know what you're supposed to do when you've been shot and killed. Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do. But I've just been shot and life's probably over. I'm not sure what you do when that happens. So I just tell Menachem Wiener, I've been shot. Run, run, get out. Like, run. I'm going to figure out what I'm still being shot. But just, I told him to run. The bottom line is, the guy had shot me with a paintball. Turned out I see, like, colors all over my arm. I did get some boo-boos, but <laughs> he shot a, I never played paintball in my life. It's a tough game. That hurt a lot. I had like a welt on my... Somehow a knuckle got one here. He did hit me from close range. They freeze the bullets and they shoot them. But anyway, it was a very, very <laughs> complicated place where the dorm was located. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line, Chevro. Ariel Abramov was approached by three inner city kids. He was walking with Maish Levy. And three inner city kids said to Ariel Abramov. Now, why they started up with him is a million dollar question. But they did say to him, Give us your money. And he said to Maish Levy, This is mine, not yours. He came back to the dorm. The guy said he was covered in blood and none of it was his. But anyway, that just. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like none of it was his. But okay, no fights. But anyway, Kitzer Advarim is that for seven years, 
I was apologizing. I used to say to the guys, you all belong in a palace. One day we're going to get you in a palace. Anybody who knows me for seven years, there's a campus. There could be guys here. I drove through it. I used to drive through this gorgeous campus and tell guys, this is going to be ours one day. And I always felt bad that the guys were living not necessarily in the best conditions. The reality is that the government threw us out and I thought we were closed. Three weeks before we're starting, the entire summer, guys are texting me, can I have the B4 dorm, C5, and like, I'm like, there are no B4, no C, the dorm is closed, the yeshiva is shut down. Three weeks before Yitzra Benowitz, the Tzadik, he finds this campus. Three weeks before this man, miraculously, I don't even know why, I promise the first time I saw this campus, I'm a weird guy like this. The only one here I think who will relate fully to me is my best friend Shlema Wilbur because he's, he, I could picture you doing this, Shlema. When I saw this campus, I visualized it in snow. I don't know why. It just looked pretty and I thought this is going to look gorgeous in snow. It was the middle of the summer. Why I was visualizing snow, I guess I was in Waterbury a number of years. I just thought, if you look out the window, it is gorgeous. Lemaise Yitzhak Benowitz finds this. Nisim happened. I could tell you whole other details of the story. A whole other detail. I don't want to go through that, Richos. It's like a complicated story. There are people in Waterbury who felt the Masifta shouldn't be in Waterbury. It's an energetic place. That's a quiet place. And they wanted us out. I was like not agreeing. They're the ones who raised the money to find the campus. They only raised it because they wanted us out. We're then forced out, which they wouldn't have written. Hashem runs the world, Hebrew. It's a story that one day can be in a book. The reality is when we were here day number one, parents were bringing their sons to the, to the campus. And parents are looking at myself and Ray Brown saying, the Rebbeim, there was a certain look, you guys know what you're doing. Like, <laughs> like yeah, and, and you always, you make believe. Like, yeah, sure, okay. okay let, I was thrown on my head, Nisim, we've, I, I'm kicking and screaming. Hashem was moving us to better places and to neater and gorgeous against our will. And, and then we have this miracle. And you, you always, in, in this journey called life, we have the haughtiness, the arrogance to pretend like we like. And parents are looking like respect. They, they drop off the year before, it didn't look like this. And they drop off in a whole different place and a whole different environment. And parents, there was a certain like, you guys, you know, you see the gym, the pool, the pool wasn't there, the gym, the buildings, this, that. It's like, shh. You have this on lockdown, like, you know what you're doing, and you're, you're just sitting there. <laughs> okay, you know. Hashem runs the world, my friends. And Hashem orchestrates events, and the story of the Megillah is a story of seeing Yad Hashem. See the hand of Hashem in our lives. There are many things we go through, and things look difficult. Find opportunity in your life. Find opportunity to see how many guys, a guy asked me in the yeshiva, he said, my principal threw me out of the school, and he said, I want to know, am I mechoyev to thank the brains at him? I want to buy him, should I, he saved my life. He saved my life. He, because I never would have come to Waterbury. My parents certainly wouldn't have sent me, but they were stuck. So I owe my principal, should I thank him? Do I owe him a chorus Understand that there's an orchestrator. Hashem orchestrates. See the Yad Hashem in our lives. 
trace things back to the originator. I, I said over a few days ago, the Manai Salevi. The Manai Salevi says you're supposed to give Shalach Manas through a Shliach. Why not give it? I love Moyo. Hand him the gift myself. Give it to Dovi to give to Moyo. But when Dovi gives it to Moyo and you thank Dovi, what does he say? It's not from me. Take it back to the source. That's the story of Purim. Take it back to the source. There's somebody pulling the strings. There's somebody orchestrating. Hashem is running. Hashem is orchestrating. When I look around a room like this, we all have our own Purim story. We are a group. We're an eclectic group from many places. Levi from his world, Mo- Moyo from his, me from mine, Jonathan Misvi from different worlds. And our journeys were brought together by the Rabbi Shalom. We have seen, you see Yad Hashem in all our private lives. In a yeshiva, in a public setting, you see Yad Hashem in wild ways. In wild, wild, unusual, extreme ways. You see the Yad Hashem, you see Hashem orchestrating and running things and, give, and doing amazing nisim we've seen over the years with the Shmaya. I say to us all in studying the Purim story that the celebration of the Purim story and the tremendous happiness in Purim is that seeing the Yad Hashem. There's a great, great comfort and a great happiness. I want to say that we live in very uncertain times. One of, the, one of the things that brought out to me the uncertainty about tomorrow. We live in times you ask a guy when he's getting married and where. The guy's like, a chasna says, I don't like. People's chasnas would change up till the chasna. Last year was the last Shabbos of the year. Anybody was in Fort Log, I don't think in my whole life, I'll, the whole Fort Log will never forget. That was like magic from Hashem. That was our own, our Bar Shana in the Midbar, our own... That was just amazing. But specifically, the last Shabbos of the year, we have a custom here that we've done now for 11 years running. So it's the last Shabbos, and I have a very prepared speech. I don't like prepared speeches, but I talk about Eretz Yisrael, the next step. So I'm about to press play. Okay, Kalish. Okay, so I'm looking at a crowd of seniors, 70, 80, 100 guys were there, and we're about to share together, like, it's the next, you know, we're thinking about the next year. And before the speech started, I said, I, I like, got real, and I'm like, Kalish, not one of us knew we were going the next year. It was like the end of the year, everybody, everything's supposed to be set, but we didn't know whether it's Israel be possible. If you remember the summer, there was so much, uns- was Eretz Yisrael going to open up? Was any yeshiving going to be possible? Should guys go? We've been out of yeshiva a long time. Could we go? Should we go? Will we go? And the, whole, the, the meeting changed. It wasn't about anymore. Okay, next year in Eretz Yisrael, and it turned out 55 guys, blessed be the Lord. Aaron Shmel and Viggy Benayim came back. Our life, they changed all our lives. So... Uncertainty, the uncertainty like smacked me in the face. We don't, we don't know anything. We always pretend like we got this on lockdown. Okay, you'll go here, I'll go here. Look, everything's like all set out. We know garnished. And it hit me that in the whole corona, that hit me the most. That Shabbos, when we sat together on that patio out overlooking the water there, and we're about to have like speak about next year, and none of us know like. What in the world we're doing? We were going, so we're preparing. And, and, and I felt a tremendous sense then that we're just in Hashem's hands. 
We're in Hashem's hands, and that's a very secure and comfortable place to be. I told you this year, I observed something that I'd never seen anything like this in my life. Since the beginning of the yeshiva, 12th graders talk about Eretz Yisrael. Where you going? Where? Parents will call me four minutes into the, into the year. Okay, about my Eretz I'm like, oh no, please. Like, I'm very much a Nevardika. The altar of Nevardik said, give up a thousand tomorrows for one today. I like today. I don't want to hear about tomorrow. There's such a thing called planning, but live today, present, now. I don't want to hear. I like the bu- three minutes left to this man. I don't want to hear what you're doing next year. Become from, become a tzaddik, become a bentayra now. A person can acquire a world in one second. The decision of now, the decision of now. Right? I don't want to hear tomorrow, next year. It's not... Now, right now, give up a thousand tomorrows for one today. Now, right here and right now. So all the years, parents would be like chepering and the kids like, Rebbe, next. So we had rules. There are like two rules in the whole world. If you wear a coat, you're in deep trouble. You're, if you wear a coat during Shear, you're clueless. That's like a rule in Yeshiva. Smoke up during Shear. It's on here. I don't know. Just don't smoke up, but you better not wear a coat. It's far worse than drugs. A coat during Shear is like, is like horrific. And the second rule is we had a rule. If you talk about Eretz roll before Hanukkah, Hashem Yerachim Olecha. You're not allowed. And this was like a fierce rule. I felt like, I felt literally like a human dam. A dam takes like rushing water and is holding back. And I felt that my job, Ray Brownstein's job, is to be human dams. Hold back. And people next year, I, want, I couldn't stand that 12th grade, a guy's planning next year. Shana Aleph is a question about Shana Bet and Shana Bet. Shana, so you never live now. You're always, instead, let's have the craziest 12th grade. And by the way, if you have a crazy grade, where you think you're going now, but where you'll be then will be different. If you plan the year, if you're, if you're 12th grade, about where you're going next year, by the way, you'll nail it on the first day of 12th grade. You'll get the right place because you will stay in the same place. If your 12th grade's about 12th grade, then you won't be able to predict where you're going next year because then you'll change. If you're a now person, you'll be different. So how can you even plan, but I'll be different tomorrow. I'm sending the today me there, but I'm not going to be the today me. I'm going to be tomorrow's me. So it's very, very bad. Live today be today, be present. The reality is for 11 years, I sat for... You know, we never had an Israel day in the history of the yeshiva. That was a remarkable, just a remarkable day. We never had it. Why we never had it? Because there was never a need. Guys were talking about Eretz Yisrael, I'm holding back. We would let go, and then boom. This year, the weirdest thing, it's like Purim time. Like, where are you going next year? Next year... Like, <laughs> next year, not a yeshiva has come this year, because they don't know, they can't get out, Israeli airports closed. Other years from early in the year, they're calling. I'm like saying, no, let's hold them back. They're like, there's not fair, we need numbers, we need to decide, Imre's here, the Rib Center's here. And I get them, they have to come. This year, nobody's here, it's Purim time. Next year, I don't know, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. What we've all gotten is the sense to live present and to live by Hashem. Hashem runs the world. We've given up a pretend of we have it all prepared. Certainly, 
There's Chacham Ein of Bereishai, a person, Ezel Chacham Arayas Anaylad. Of course, there's something to preparing for tomorrow. But equally, live today and also know Hashem runs the world. Submit. He runs the world always. Hashem runs the world. The story of Megillah Esther is seeing Hashem run the world, see the true story behind the madmen in the palace, behind all the these crazy incidents the throne built in, a, in, in, a, in Shushan and they can't move it for heaven's sake, they can't get in on the boat, it's sinking boats this, this crazy economic mistake and he spent so many billions, he has to move his malchus, all Hashem orchestrating to get the kingdom right near Mordechai, right near Esther Hashem runs events to see the Yad Hashem. I want to say that all of us in our lives, the sincere, honest person who sees Yad Hashem has a tremendous stability and comfort and calmness. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world. Corona is very, very real and very dangerous. And many people, I remember Purim last year, early I was very much, my wife said, you're obsessing on this. My gut said this is major that it's something big. And for sure, it's very real, and many Yidin suffered from it, no question. And nobody's making light of that. It's a very real, and many, many, many people, both physically were lost, many great people, much damage financially, many, many things went down. So nobody's making light at all. But all of us learned to see that we're not in control. We've all learned to see Yad Hashem, to see that Hashem runs the world. And that, to see in our lives Yad Hashem. The best thing is if we could see it in positive events in our lives. To see Yad Hashem, to see Hashem orchestrating. In difficult events in our lives, try to understand Hashem is running the world. We're in good hands. I like visualizing kids in the back seat on a trip. Tati and mommy are driving, the parents, Abba and Ima, dad and mama driving, and the kids like fighting in the back seat, sleeping. Life is good, mom and dad, and they're not worried about directions, they're not worried, mom and dad have it, have it on lockdown. Kikot and Bigmolima, we're in Hashem's hands, my friends. And Hashem, who loves us more than we love ourselves, running the show. All of us in our lives see the Yad Hashem, see Hashem running. Trace, utilize events, make your own Megillah Esther story. You can find in your own life things. There are things we don't understand what Hashem's doing, but we have the circumstances that we can see Yad Hashem. I told you this year I wasn't Zaycha to visit the guys in Eretz Yisrael. Chazde Hashem rallies here. When I go to Eretz Yisrael, really. One of the things, Mel, when I got out to throw, I promise this happens under our nose. When you see in Waterbury and you see, you watch a person hit it off and you watch different relationships. You watch the Chevra with Yaki. You watch Rabbi Russ learning with his guys. You watch Rai Brownstein hit off and Rai Kaf. You watch these relationships, these beautiful life-changing relationships. I remember the moment Benny, do you remember, I called it out, the moment that Yehuda Krupka met for the first time Rifarkis. It was love at first sight. I remember that moment, and Shalom, and, and Yonatan, and Levi meet Rifarkis, and different to these meetings, Shalom, when I would go to Eretz Yisrael, we have a couple of hundred guys there. And I very much want guys to succeed, to steig, and to grow. 
And what always hit me, the Shabbos there is magical. There are guys here who have been on that Shabbos. You have to picture, we sit in a room for like, it's like forever straight. We're basically Friday night, Suda goes into Shabbos, day Suda goes into Shalashodas. For those that are here on Durham, cannot relate to it, that we feel like we sit in the dining room the whole Shabbos. There, over the Shabbos, there are hundreds of people coming in and out of the room. And a lot of these angels come into the room, and I'll meet people, different Bachram say, he's my Rebbe. All different, beautiful Yidin who had massive impact on guys' lives. And I'm just dazzled how Hashem pulls the string and brings this guy to this Rebbe, this guy to this Chavrusa, this guy to this Yeshiva. You see tremendous Hashkachas Hashem. And these angels, like perfectly created, just for each Bacher, finds his Malach, his angel. I was talking the other morning to Moish to Gross. He was described, I wish I could say it, I wasn't Zeiche. Must be Zmainish. Hashem didn't let me see it this year. To see it is gorgeous. You see the angel Hashem made, like, like the perfect Malach Hashem for this Bacher. And everybody has their own Malach, their own angels. And Hashem sends the exact people at the right time. Hashem prepares the footsteps of men. Puts people with the right people at the right time, at the right place, and puts them together. It's dazzling. Don't under, when you see friendships, I watch it. They're not even here. This is not to flatter. Watch Yaakov Samuels and Aaron together, Aaron Schwartz together. That's dazzling. And Hashem put two people together and they're pushing each other to grow and develop. And each one in a unique way, you watch the friendships that Hashem so clearly orchestrated. Different people, you watch a person hit it off with Ray with Snicky. All the different, here it's hard to see when it's in front of your nose. When I go there and you get a picture of it, I could watch it and see Amechim at Sadegavar. The carefully orchestrated plan of Hashem who prepares the footsteps of men. All of us, Rabbi Say, we're headed towards the Chag of Purim. Let's really, it's a tremendous source of joy. Right in the winter is Adar. Adar, the Oisius of Adar, it's really a name from the Goyim. But of course, everything's Ashkoch and it's Echadar. Hashem lives. Hashem's amongst us. That's Adar's Echadar. Hashem is here. Hashem dwells. He's here. We don't always see it. It's a Goyish name. I promise that's not what they meant. But that's what the Pshad is. Echadar, Hashem is here. And Adar is a time to see the Yad Hashem in our lives. To construct your own movie. And Hashem's running events of our lives with reasons, with purpose. I'm going to conclude with a vart that, that I've told you before. I grew up with a childhood friend and we'll end with this. I have a childhood friend who's today is a lawyer married to a doctor and he wrote a sefer on Purim. And he says a vert there, it's a phenomenal vert. He's Rav Eitan Feiner, the rub of the White Shul's brother. And he says a vert that is phenomenal and I'm going to end with this vert. Purim is called Purim, poor. It's in the Megillah. It's very strange that the name is Purim. The poor, the lottery, is one detail in this whole beautiful story. Haman draws lotteries went to kill us. Somehow, the Yantif's called poor. Lottery. Why is the Yantif? And it's in the Megillah, they call these days Purim. That's one like minor detail of how Haman chose which day to kill us on. And the whole holiday's called poor. Listen to what my friend said. To introduce what my friend said, I have to 
tell you one thing as follows, Shlomo. Before Yaakov Avinu wanted to die, he wanted to tell his children the kates. And Hashem took away Ruach HaKodesh from him and he didn't tell them the kates. Avi, what does it mean he wanted to tell them the kates? When you were little kids, but it's time to get sophisticated, you thought he's going to tell them when Mashiach's coming. That's childish. If anybody tells you when Mashiach's coming, run the other way. They don't know what they're talking about. We don't know Mashiach's coming. And what is it relevant to you? We know there's a Mashiach. The bottom line is, the bottom, Shemi, what does it mean Yaakov wanted to say the kates, the time? The kates means the end of time. What it means is as follows. I used to love Agatha Christie as a kid. She writes stories, something happens in Scotland, something happens in this country, and everything seems unrelated. At the end, magnificently, it all comes together. The Cates is the end, Aaron Schmel, which makes the whole story make sense. We watch Bachram Steig, and you literally start understanding the journey of his life. As he comes together, it's like, wow. And you see even things that were negative, but it was part of his journey. Cates means the end, which makes sense of all the travels along the way, all the trials and tribulations along the way. That's the Cates. He was going to tell his children, we go through things as a people. Why is this happening? Why is that happening, DH? We don't know. Cates means the end that gives a meaning and a purpose. Everything now fits. Everything's towards, if you see a painter paint the picture in the middle, what are you doing? When you see the whole painting, you're like, wow. When you were doing a little black here and a little this here, oh my gosh. A painter in the middle of the painting, nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. When you see the whole picture, you're like, wow. It looked like you were splattering and putting, but I see what you were drawing. That's the case. The whole picture And Yaakovina was going to tell them that when you go through each detail, you should know what it's headed towards. And Hashem didn't let him tell us that. We wish we had the cates in our own lives. When things happen, at least I know where it's taking me. We don't know. That only, there's a cates. But everything's towards a picture. That's what a cates means. A cates is the end that makes the whole thing make sense. Now watch this. A poor is a lottery. A lottery is that in the world that is known as most luck. It's the, it's the proverbial flipping of the coin. We'll draw lots. Whatever happens, happens. It spits luck. That's a poor. Now watch Lush and Kaidish, my friends. How do you spell poor? Pei, Vav, Resh. Now watch this. You have a bookend, Pei, and a Resh, and a Vav in the middle. What does the letter Vav mean, Shemi? And. Okay. And. It's a connector, this and that. What is a vav in the Torah? Vav. What is the word vav, not the letter vav? What is a vav in the Torah? What? Say it loud. Who just said it? Say it loud. A hook. A vav is a hook in the Mishkan. A vav is a, what does a vav look like? It's a line with a, it's a hook. A vav is a hook. That's why it means and, it connects. A vav is called a vav achiber. A vav is a connector. A vav is a connector. It is a hook. It means and. It means a hook. That's the translation. A vavim are hooks. So a vav's a connector. So pei vav resh, the word says pei. Vav means hook to the resh. Hook the pei to the resh. 
pay. Vav means hooket. Connect the pay and the resh. So Shemi, let's do what the word tells us to do. The word poor says connect the pay to the resh. So Shemi, David, what letters connect the pay to the resh? Let's do it. How do we connect pay to resh? What letters stand between pay and resh? And the word told us pay, vav, hook it to the resh. Connect the pay to the resh. Okay, I'll do that. I'll listen. I'm not usually very obedient, Shims. But let's be obedient here. What letters connect pay to resh? Tzadikuf. Pay, tzadikuf, resh, and tough stuff. So pay to resh is tzadikuf, kates. Hidden in the word poor, that which looks like luck and chance and who knows is kates. Everything's towards an end. Everything's for a purpose. Now do you get why the holiday's called poor? Hidden in the word poor, lottery, that which looks chance and arbitrary is kates. Everything's towards a purpose. Everything's towards an ending. Hashem's running, there's a kates. There's a system, there's an ends, there's a whole beautiful picture. Isn't that amazing, Mel? A word from Rev. Avi Feiner, beautiful word in a Sefer. He subsequently found it in other Svar, maybe even Arizal, he found it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tying it all together in his case. <laughs> so I wanted to share this with the Chevra. All of us should be Zaycha to the tremendous joy, serenity, and happiness that comes from recognizing life has all different twists and turns. We're in very, very good hands. There's a very, there's a driver, we're in, we're in the driver who loves us more than we love ourselves. So we're in good hands to the tremendous joy that belongs to the Maimon, to the faithful one who sees the Yad Hashem. All of us should be zeich to that. We obviously, such a topic, we're going to close with a song, it's obvious. We're going to do two songs. Ben Stein, if you come close, I need a song, Benny, come. Listen to the words, Chavri, you're missing out if you don't try to hear the words, Chavri. I didn't see, I didn't you want to hear the words, not just the tune, trust me. tell me why stand still in the wind. tell me why you think you're done being a kid. That you don't know how to set it free Child, tell me why Oh, the sea is stuck in your eyes And please don't let the worry be If the sun will rise again Because the sun will rise again So love yourself to death, child But it's in life you'll need to for a while In oh sweet melodies In oh sweet melodies Holy in my 
Get to second Seder before Zevi plays this song. I want to say that that song was gorgeous. Music is so powerful, and the songs bring us places. How careful we have to be to listen to the proper music because it's so powerful and it brings us, it connects us to ideas. It, I was once at a Pesach place, and Leila Seder, somebody was singing Vafilu Bastara. I was frustrated. Music is just like the Leila Seid is not a time of Hester, it's clarity. Purim is a time of Mitoich the Hester, Mitoich the Hidden to see Hashem. The Leila Seid is Laila Kiyoim Ya'iru, the night becomes light. Purim turns into Pesach. But I want Zevi to do Vafilu Bastaru, Lukavit Purim. Why from so far? Which Esther Amalka really asked, Loma Hashem Tamid Barachik. Why from so far? It's Esther Amalka. Kapitel Chaf Beis in Tilim. So it's the words of Esther Amalka of Zevi, if you'll do that song. Thank you, Bins. I want to welcome, I want to welcome Ellie's parents and say that we spoke, was it this Friday night that we spoke about Ellie Masar? And I want to say, that the tremendous, tremendous growth that Elia has, has impacted. Today, we see a whole 12th grade. First seid is packed. Second seid is gishmaka. Unless Kalish like, messes it up doing music and going too long. Musser, but that will end soon. The Sdarim are on fire. Elia is from Basar Rishonim. Steiging and growing. And you've lifted up a whole Chabura. Dozens and dozens of people in your elevation, have been elevated. His steiging is real, it's deep. In the yeshiva, it's built to last. When people build without resolving and figuring out, so the building collapses. They used to have somebody at the door, a guard. Waterbury's the last yeshiva in the world that still has this guard up. The Gemara in Bracha says it was a guard at the door that didn't let you in the base medjish if you weren't real, if you weren't toichai kibarai. They took the guard up and they only left them in Waterbury. Waterbury, you're not allowed in. Until you get honest and real, we don't let you in. 
When you're honest and real, come learn Torah and it all sticks. And to see a person who's worked and working and such honesty, and of course the Torah is sticking and making an impact. So thank you, Ellie, for your steiging and your impact. So he's doing really two excited. songs. He's doing two really songs. excited about okay. it. Johnny Just make sure Menachem places first to your okay. song. From okay. far, you, which one first? Um, he wants to do first the song. I'm just Johnny so excited. I'm very excited That's about it. As long as Menachem, give me Menachem, you give me Rishos. Johnny, Paul. Johnny. Johnny, come. Johnny. 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 It's gonna be two since then after you'll be from wife and sorry. Yeah. Super. super. Are you kidding? Check the new song.